Very pleasant good morning to each one of you here. We have a good crowd assembled on this beautiful Lord's Day morning, and we are certainly appreciative that each one of you has made the decision to gather together with this group of saints and to offer our worship and our praise unto God. You know, the life of a congregation, a local congregation, is much like our own lives as individuals. We have ups and downs. We have highs and lows that we experience. Uh, we go through difficult times and we go through times of, of ease and times of happiness and joy. And it's just my observation as I've been thinking the last couple of weeks about uh, how much things seem to be going very well, in my estimation, uh, with this particular congregation here at Fairview Park. And that is a tribute, I think, first of all, to God and His work among us, but then to every member that is a part of this congregation, uh, that we are striving to grow in God, we are striving to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we are striving, I think, to be truly a family of God, as uh, our brother Kyle somewhat spoke to us about that in his Wednesday talk about encouragement and how much his family has been encouraged in the year or so that they have been here with us. And uh, certainly there are so many good things that are going on right now. I think it, it can be easy for us to lose sight of that or to not just stop, pause for a moment or two and to meditate and to think about uh, all the blessings that God gives us and how many good things are going on here at this place. And not only among us that are gathered here this morning, but hopefully this church, I think, is like the church in Thessalonica that the Apostle Paul wrote about and said that the word of the Lord has gone forth from this church. And I think the word of God is going forth, not just in our community here in Little Rock and central Arkansas, but it is going forth from this church to far and wide, to places all over the world. And uh, we certainly are a part of that. And uh, we need to think about that and we need to thank God, I think, for that. And so I just wanted to share that with you this morning to say thank you to all of you for all of the work that you do and all that we will continue to do. Last month, and I think it's been about five weeks ago now, it seems like a long, long time, but last month we began a series of lessons kind of in our greater uh, series of current issues that we are thinking about this year, we began a series of lessons based upon the instruction of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to glorify God in your body. And in that introductory lesson, we looked at that particular text, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And as we did so, we just pulled five truths out of that text that ought to govern our physical bodies. And so, if you're like me, you forget. <laughs> you might have thought that was five months ago instead of five weeks ago. But just to remind us of those truths from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are thinking about. Number one, as the Apostle Paul begins the text that we're considering in this brief series of lessons there at verse 12, when he says that all things are, not, are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable, all things are lawful, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. That there are things uh, of which we can do that may be pleasing to the Lord, but maybe they are not the, the most helpful to us or to our brothers and sisters. Maybe they are not, not the most encouraging, the most profitable or beneficial to us spiritually. And certainly it ought to be our aim and our desire that even those things that, that may be considered morally neutral or even some things that can be morally good but may not be the best thing morally or spiritually for us, we're not going to let those things take control of who we are and master 
our lives. Number two, we said from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that the body is for the Lord. If we are Christians, our body has been given in a special way. We have been devoted and dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. Truth number three from this text that we emphasized in that lesson was that our bodies are members of Christ, that we have been joined to Jesus Christ, that we are connected to Christ, that we are not our own, number four, that Christ owns us. And number five, we said from this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we have been bought with a price. And that's where the Apostle Paul ends this whole discussion at verse 20. And his conclusion to all of these truths and many more good and valuable truths that we could take out of 1 Corinthians 6 is this, therefore glorify God in your body. Today, we want to keep those truths in mind as we think or begin to think, and this is going to be at least two or three lessons probably about how we use our bodies, the physical bodies that God has given to us. Specifically, today we want to discuss just one use of our bodies that the world around us endorses. And not only does the world around us endorse this use of our physical bodies, but it encourages us. And this is a great challenge, I think, to those of us who are trying to be people who are glorifying God in our bodies. We are trying to be people who are transformed into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But as we look at this particular use of our physical body this morning, that the world would say, yeah, you need to partake of that. I want you to remember that this is not just a challenge for those of us who live in 2023 in the United States of America. This was a challenge for those who were living in Corinth in the first century. This was a challenge for Christians who lived in the second century. This is a challenge for every Christian who has lived in every period of time since sin has come into the world in the Garden of Eden into God's perfect world. This has been a challenge, but it definitely is a challenge for us in the culture in which we live. And so we want to just think this morning again about a worldly use of our body. And we want to think really about the specific application that the Apostle Paul makes here in this text, and that is the sin of fornication. I want you to read here with me, as our brother Kerry has already read for us this entire text, but go back at least in your mind if you don't have your Bible open, but open there if you can to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and notice with me again the end of verse 13. Again, in this whole discussion of God giving us our physical body and how we are to view our bodies, how we are to use our bodies to glorify God, he reminds us of one simple truth. He says there at the end of verse 13, yet the body is not for immorality. If you're reading from the New American Standard, it uses that word immorality. As Brother Carey was reading this morning, I don't know what translation he was reading from, maybe the ESV, but it uses sexual immorality. Some of the older translations like the King James Version, maybe even the American Standard Version, use the word fornication and that is the idea here. It's not just anything that is immoral or a violation of God's law or God's word, but he is thinking here of a specific kind of immorality, that of a sexual nature. And he says to us again, yet the body is not for sexual immorality or fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. I believe that this statement really is a universal truth that is applicable to every person's body. Whether that person has, d believes that there is a God or not. Whether that person believes that there is a creator or not. 
whether that person acknowledges that God exists or whether that person has made the decision to come and follow his son Jesus Christ or not, this is just a universal truth that applies to everyone that God did not make our physical bodies for sin really is the essence of that thought. Our body, our physical body is not for sexual sin, not for sexual immorality, not for fornication. God made the human body for himself. And God made our human bodies for us to use those bodies for his purposes, to accomplish his will, not for sin, including, as he mentions here very specifically, the sin of fornication. What Paul is stating here, I believe, is this very simply. That fornication or sexual immorality is an unnatural use of the human body. Uh, Unlike food being for the stomach and the stomach for food, as he mentions earlier in this particular verse, God did not make our bodies for fornication. God made our stomachs and our physical bodies for a specific purpose, didn't he? Maybe there's several purposes. But he's saying here that that food goes into our stomach. Food is for our stomach and our stomach takes that food and and digests it and breaks it down and allows our bodies to function as they do along with other parts of our body. But I think he's saying that God created food for a purpose. God created our stomachs for a purpose and God has created our physical bodies for a purpose and that purpose is not fornication. The fact that one can use his or her body to engage in this kind of sexual sin does not mean that one should use his or her body for such kind of activity. And given the culture, again, in which Paul is addressing these particular Christians in the city of Corinth, I think if we have studied the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians at all, we probably know a lot about the culture in Corinth, don't we? It was just a very immoral city. There was all kinds of immorality, all kinds of evil and wickedness that was just running rampant throughout this particular city. And Corinth wasn't really unique in that particular sense in the Roman Empire. There were a lot of cities. The city of Ephesus had a lot of those problems. There was a lot of idolatry here in the city of Corinth. And so in a lot of ways, we are 2,000, some almost 2,000 years removed from This particular city of the first century, Corinth, we are certainly removed by thousands of miles across the globe from this particular environment. But in many ways, this describes the culture, the society in which we find ourselves living today. And also the fact that most or many people in our nation are committing fornication, that they are having sex with someone who is not their God-approved husband or wife, doesn't mean that we as followers of Christ should. Because again, Paul is stressing to these brethren as he is to us that our bodies, God has not created our bodies to be involved in this kind of activity. As we continue again looking here at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 down to verse 15, Paul begins to ask some questions. And he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take take them away, uh, take away Let me read that again. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute or a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Again, I I take it 
and you can disagree with me about this certainly, but I take it that the truth that Paul states back in verse 13 really applies to everybody, whether they understand that truth or not. But now he is speaking specifically to those who are Christians in Corinth and to us. And he is reminding us again, as he is addressing the Christian's body, he is telling us that we specifically, we made a decision when we joined ourselves to Christ, that we joined ourselves to Christ. We are joined to him with our whole being. That our body is joined to Him. Our mind is joined to Him. Our soul and our spirit. All of what makes up who we are as people. All of that is connected to Christ. And yet if we are joined to, if we who are joined to Him join ourselves sexually to anyone other than our spouse, we are guilty of sin. And that connection, that joint that we have to Christ is broken, it is severed. We are no longer joined with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me, I don't have this passage up on the screen, but it's interesting to me in this whole discussion here at the end of chapter six, a, a, a half of a chapter that Paul takes addressing these particular matters and the conclusion again that we're thinking about in this short series of glorifying God in your body, that the discussion, it doesn't seem like in my mind, ends there. It's kind of an unfortunate break in my mind that we have chapter 6, verse 20, and then we have chapter 7, verse 1, because I think Paul is continuing in that frame of mind as we continue into chapter 7. So just read there with me a few of those early verses. Paul says, continuing on in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, now concerning the things about which you wrote, so it seems like they had written some written the apostle asking some questions about these matters. They're living in this kind of environment. They have come out of this kind of environment, many of them. As you read back here earlier in chapter six about some of them were fornicators. Some of them were idolaters. Some of them were adulterers. Some of them were homosexuals. They had come out of that kind of environment. That's what they were used to. That's what they viewed as being normal. And so they had written to the Apostle Paul about those things, and he was answering that. He says, concerning the things about which he wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And I think that is in a sexual context. But because of immoralities, again, because of fornication, let each man, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The Apostle Paul then gives us what God's plan is. That in the confines of marriage, in this covenant relationship that God himself has designed, that that is the only place, that is the only environment, if you will, in which we can fully express ourselves in this way, in a sexual way. That is the only person to which we can join ourselves in a sexual way. Not to someone who is not our husband or wife, but only to that particular person. And Paul gives some instructions here in the first five verses in which we read. We need to be diligent about that as husbands and wives, as spouses, that we make sure that we're not putting our spouse in a tempting situation. Perhaps the Corinthians were like many people today. They may have been thinking of this idea of sex only in physical terms, just physically becoming one flesh with another person. 
But engaging in this activity with another person, it joins those two people in many other ways than just physically. There is a joining emotionally. There is a joining relationally. There is a joining mentally. And I think even in some sense, and we may think this is kind of hard to comprehend. I don't have all the answers for this, but I think even on a spiritual level, it does serve to join us together that we truly can become one flesh. We can become the two becoming one in every way. And this activity bonds two people together like nothing else known to man. There is something special. There is something unique about the marriage relationship and what God has designed as far as sex is concerned in that relationship. But you know what? We live in a time and a culture that doesn't see sex and sexual activity from the, in this light. <laughs> and I'm sure, very sure, as we've already talked about this morning with the culture at Corinth, that that was not the way that the people in the city of Corinth or the people in the Roman Empire, the emperors and on down, looked at sexuality. Well, we are very much living in a time that kind of has this mantra that sex with no strings attached, that, that's what you need to be going for. And that message, I think, is just... Uh, bombarded to all of us, but especially to our younger crowd, that you can just engage in this activity. There doesn't have to be any strings attached. You don't even have to know the person's name. You don't have to know anything about them. You're not committing yourself to anything. But I'm here to tell you this morning, as the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit, I believe, would say, that that kind of thinking about sex with no strings attached, it is a myth. It is a lie of our arch enemy, the devil, and he has done a very good sales job on our culture today as we think about these matters. Not only can this sin that Paul is addressing here to this audience in Corinth and to us, not only can fornication result in unwanted pregnancy or physical disease, but it can very much also result in emotional and relational and most importantly spiritual scars and some of those scars may be with us the rest of our lives if we engage in this activity outside of marriage with someone who is not our covenant partner for life. And we may live with those scars even if we have been forgiven of that sin. And that is the good news of the gospel. I know this is kind of a negative lesson, but there is good news. And in all of these lessons that we're going to talk about this, this year from current issues that we are facing, that we are being bombarded with as God's people, there is a problem. There is a sin that needs to be addressed. We need to teach and preach the truth of God's word. And I'm trying to do that this morning and hopefully can do that the rest of this year. But there is also good news that you can be forgiven. You can change. You don't have to live this kind of lifestyle just like the Corinthians changed back earlier in this chapter. You can change with the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. But you may have to live with the consequences for a long time. Maybe, yes, even the rest of your days here upon earth. And because the consequences can be very severe of any sin, but especially this sin, this is why the Apostle Paul, I believe, gives this stern warning or admonition, very short but very powerful, at the beginning of verse 18, when he just says to these Corinthians, you need to flee fornication. A.T. Robertson, in his word, Pictures of the New Testament, 
says about this word flee that it carries with it the idea of not just a one-time action, but the idea of continual action. He says, quote, it is to have the habit of fleeing without delay. Sometimes there are times when we need to stand up and we need to uh, resist. Certainly we need to resist Satan at every point. Sometimes there are times when we need to stand firm and not be moved. There are other times when it's best for us to just get away from the situation. If it is if it is uh, possible for us to physically remove or mentally, emotionally remove ourselves from a tempting situation, sometimes that is what we need to do. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the young preacher Timothy, said to him several times, you need to flee. <laughs> you need to get out of that situation. And here Paul is saying that this sin is such a temptation, it can become such a snare and such a detriment to our lives physically and spiritually and relationally. And in every way that you need to flee fornication. I'm sure as these Christians were reading these words of Paul, they were thinking, how in the world are we supposed to do that? <laughs> I mean, we're living here in this city where fornication is just running rampant. Whether it's fornication that's, that's connected to idolatry or whether it's fornication that is not connected to idolatry, how are we supposed to get out of that situation? But here he gives the instruction for us to flee and to do that without delay. If and when the temptation to have sexual relations before or outside of marriage arises, I believe the Apostle Paul was encouraging these brethren and us today to be like Joseph of old. Do you remember the story, I'm sure you do, of Joseph back in the Old Testament? In Genesis chapter 39, that as Potiphar's wife was uh, sexually tempting him and wanting him to uh, commit fornication or adultery with her. And he said, no, I can't do that. And I can't sin against my great God. He knew that God had taken care of him, that God had been the one who had blessed him in every step of his life, even though he'd been thrown into the pit and left for dead, even though he'd been taken by traitors to Egypt. And now he was uh, a servant in Potiphar's house and he was away from his family and away from his his religion and away from his culture and all that was comfortable about his life. He knew God had blessed him. He says, I can't do this great evil and sin against God. And he literally fled, didn't he? And we need to be like Joseph when this temptation, when Satan puts the temptation of sexual sin or fornication in front of us, we need to be like that great example of old and literally sometimes run away as fast as we can. One other truth worth noting here, if you look at verse 18, as we continue reading there, he doesn't just say, Paul doesn't just say flee fornication, but he says, every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man or the fornicator, the sexually immoral man, sins against his own body. Although we certainly can use our bodies to commit other sins, and we will probably talk about some of those in coming months. Paul says, that fornication is against one's own body. What does the Apostle Paul mean when he says that? There are lots of different understandings maybe of that particular kind of phraseology, a lot of interpretations that could be given. But I concur again with A.T. Robertson that says this. He says, fornication violates Christ's rights in our bodies and also ruins the body itself. Some things that we've already talked about this morning. The consequences, yes, there are always consequences to sin. Some of those may not always be immediate. Some of those may not always be physical consequences that we suffer as a result of sin. 
But Paul says, it seems to me that there is something that is unique about this sin that he addresses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, as the Apostle Paul makes very clear here, we can't be joined to a prostitute. We can't be joined to someone else who is not our spouse and to Jesus Christ at the same time. Yes, we can use our bodies to commit other sins, but fornication results in literally joining our bodies to one to which God has not joined us. This isn't all, of course, that the New Testament has to say about this particular sin and this particular challenge that remains so for us today. And we don't have time this morning to look at every verse. If you want to look at some of those uh, on your own or if you want to look at those with me at another time, I'll be happy to sit down and discuss those things with you. But there are a couple of other passages that I want us to consider this morning in this lesson along these lines. I want us to go, first of all, to the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this church here at Thessalonica, unlike the church at Corinth, seems to be a very good church. They, they seem to be on the right trajectory, at least as Paul writes the first letter to Corinth. They had a multitude of problems, things that they needed to correct, sins that they needed to get out of their midst. Not so much with the church here at Thessalonica. They are, again, a church from which the word of the Lord has gone forth. They are a church which is, as Paul begins here this letter, saying he was thankful. He was thanking God for their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope. But notice what he writes to them in 1 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 1. He says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments are given, or he, we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification or holiness. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul is writing again these instructions to saints. He's not addressing those who are outside of Christ. He's talking to those who are in Christ. And he's talking to them, it seems to me, in this, these few verses about what we're speaking of this morning from 1 Corinthians 6. About the proper use of our God-given bodies, of our God-given sexual desires. And this is, we, we could go off in a whole lesson, I think, about this. And maybe at some point I, I will give a lesson or somebody else will about this. But I think it needs to be said in this lesson that admittedly is very much a negative lesson focusing upon the sin of fornication. That the sex itself is not sin. This is something that God has designed. It is something that God has created. Just like the relationship of marriage, God created that. Man didn't come up with the idea of marriage as much as our culture tries to tell us that. And so if it's just an idea that human beings have come up with, well, we can chunk it whenever we want. <laughs> but we're, we're seeing the effects of that, aren't we, brothers and sisters, in our culture today? They're saying that marriage doesn't matter and, and it doesn't matter who you have sex with. That, that doesn't matter at all. We're, we're seeing the ramifications of that in our culture today. 
But I think it is important, I know it is important that those of us who are Christians need to stand up for God in every aspect. (laughs) And sex between a man and a woman, a husband and wife that have been bound together by God in this covenant relationship of marriage is not something that is evil. It is not something that is sin. It is not something that is dirty. It is something that is wonderful. It is something that is beautiful. It is exactly what God intended for it to be. And we need to acknowledge that and we need to celebrate that. And those of us who are parents that still have children at home, we need to be teaching our children that and instilling in them the truth because Satan again is telling us a lie. God has given all of us, if we don't have any physical or mental problems, He has given us these desires. But He has said, here is the realm in which you can satisfy those desires. Here is the realm in which you can pursue those desires. And that is the realm of a covenant relationship of marriage. But notice what the Apostle Paul says here, just a few things. From this text, first of all, he explicitly says at verse 3 that these Christians and us today, we are to abstain from sexual immorality or fornication. The world, again, will tell us the opposite. All of us, whoever we are, you know, lessons like these, I think when I was growing up, were pretty much addressed to the younger crowd. And I'm talking to you this morning, if you consider yourself to be in that, that season of your life. But I'm talking to all of us. Because it's not just young people that engage in this sin. It is middle-aged people. It is people who are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. It it has just permeated every part of our society today. And so the world will say to you, that's just not possible. Abstinence from sexual activity, that is not possible. That's not an option. We're taking that off the table. But God says to us, through His Spirit... Through his apostle Paul in this particular text, God is saying to us that we must. If we are truly his children and followers of his son Jesus Christ, we must abstain from fornication, which implies that we can. It may be very difficult. There are a lot of difficult instructions that God gives us. We were talking about one in Brother Kurt's class this morning about be anxious for nothing, that's very difficult to do. But I believe if God gives us an instruction in the word that he will equip us to be able to carry it out. That's the first thing I want you to notice here in the 1 Corinthians 4. Secondly, notice that Paul says that God expects us to not use our bodies to satisfy our own lustful passions. Verse 5, he does not want us to use our bodies for the purpose of impurity. Verse 7, but to use them for his purpose, that we are to have our bodies in sanctification and honor. We are to conduct ourselves in a way that pleases God, in a way that honors Him, in a way, yes, that we are thinking of this morning that glorifies Him, not that glorifies ourselves. And all of this matter the Apostle Paul makes very clear is not his own wisdom. It is the wisdom of God. He says to us in verse 3 that this is the will of God. And if we reject this teaching, we are rejecting our Maker We're not rejecting the messenger. You you may walk out of here this morning and think, boy, that that preacher was just way off. (laughs) He seemed like he was preaching mad this morning. Or, uh, you know, that's just his opinion. That's just his thoughts. And I'm trying to speak as the word of God this morning, as I always do. 
But basically, Paul is saying, if you reject this teaching, you don't need to come to me, Paul. (laughs) You don't need to come to talk to me about it. You don't need to come to argue with me about this. You need to talk to God because this is God's will for you as his child. Something specifically to our younger crowd that is here this morning, the words of the Apostle Paul and the aged preacher to a young preacher in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. Paul writes here, he says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. These instructions, again, can be valuable for any of us, wherever we are in life, whether we're married or not, whether we're young or old. But I would say specifically to those in the audience this morning that are young, unmarried people, I know how hard it can be to flee youthful lust. (laughs) I've been there. I've experienced a lot of those youthful desires in my own life. I've, I've experienced sin in my own life, even sin of a sexual nature. And it can be hard, young people, young unmarried people, especially to flee youthful lusts, especially this desire that God has given you. Again, it's a good desire of sexual desire that you want to engage in this activity before marriage. That, of course, as we said this morning, is wrong. But the desire is certainly something that God has given to us. But if you belong to Christ, the Apostle Paul, writing to this young evangelist, says you must use your vessel You must use your body, I think he is saying here, for honor and not for dishonor. You must use your body, your vessel, for the master's good work, not for the works of the flesh. And that's one verse that we could have gone to this morning to look at Galatians chapter 5. As Paul describes the works of the flesh there, right out of the gate he says, the first work of the flesh is fornication and sexual immorality. Again, This isn't something that's unique to us, to our generation, to our time. This is something that all Christians, all of God's people have had to deal with for a long, long time. And so all of us, but especially those of you who are young and those of you who are unmarried, I would challenge you and encourage you to commit yourself now to use your body to pursue God's character rather than using your body to pursue sinful pleasures. And not just the sin that we are describing and discussing this morning, but any kind of sin. But I I know the difficulties of that. I I, I feel for you. (laughs) I understand where you're at. But still, the admonition is flee fornication and flee youthful lust. You may need some help in that. And you shouldn't feel embarrassed or ashamed to ask your brothers and sisters and say, I'm struggling in this area. I'm about to give in to temptation. Maybe I have given in to temptation. I I need your prayers. I need your encouragement. I need you to come talk with me. I I need to text with you. (laughs) And my door is open. You can text me or call anytime. I may not respond right away. <laughs> if it's two or three in the morning, I'm probably fast asleep. But if, if you, seriously, if you need help, if you need encouragement at that time of morning, get in touch with someone. 
And certainly, most of all, get in touch with God because He knows, because He made you. Here is the long and short of this whole lesson and some other lessons. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you have committed yourself to follow Him as your Lord and your Savior, your body belongs to Him. And we don't like to hear that message as Americans, do we? We, we want to think, I, 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 I'm in control of myself. I'm in control of my life. I'm in control of my destiny. I can do whatever I want to with my body and with my mind. But that's not what God says. He says, if you belong to Christ, your body belongs to him. And therefore, you're under obligation to glorify God in your body. What about you this morning as we close this lesson? Do you belong to Christ? If that's you, if you look at that question and say, no, I don't belong to Christ. I haven't joined myself to Christ. That's what you need to take care of this morning. That, that is the issue in your life right now. So don't put that off. If you know what you need to do, why don't you do that this very hour? You can come before this good audience confessing your faith that Jesus truly is the Christ. He is the Son of God. You can come repenting of your sins, maybe even be the sin of fornication. But you're going to say, I, I'm not living that way anymore. I'm doing God's will now. And we'll be happy to bury you into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can walk out of this building rejoicing. That doesn't mean that you're never going to be tempted sexually. That doesn't mean that your anger is not going to get the best of you. That doesn't mean that you're never going to have to deal with sin and temptation. You still will, but guess what? You don't have to deal with those things by yourself anymore. <laughs> you will have God and the strength that Jesus Christ can give to help you overcome. And he will help us do that. Would you take advantage of the precious blood that Jesus has shed for us? the blood that can cleanse us from all of our sins. Do you need to make those desires known? If so, come to the front this morning as we stand and as we sing.